after describing how one day believers are going to lay down their, their, their tattered body, in 2 Corinthians 5, he likens your body to a tent. I've used that passage, 2 Corinthians 5, in many funerals uh, for believers because Paul likens the body to a tent. And when you think about your body as a tent, it's like a tent, isn't it? How's your tent doing? Tents get old. They get wore out. They get stretched too much. Things sag. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, your 50-inch chest is now around your waistline. Those, those types of things. And so the tents have issues. They, they develop, you know, terrors and problems and stuff. And eventually, Paul says, you lay your earthly tent down as a Christian, uh, and you pick up a, a, a glorious uh, tabernacle of a body, like a temple. He calls it a temple. So there would be a vast difference between your earthly body and your heavenly body. I mean, radically different. Still you, but, but improved. Uh, do you like your tent structure right now? I mean, you happy with what you got? Your equipment is? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm tired of glasses. My vision's 2,800. I absolutely cannot see. I can't read that. You want to drive with me with my glasses off? I mean, <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the great change is coming. But after Paul talks about uh, trading the earthly tent for the heavenly dwelling that God's going to give you, here's what he says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, therefore, based on what I just told you about that great transition to the new body, also we are uh, having as our ambition as Christians, if you want to know what the Christian life is all about, whether we are abs- or we're at home in the physical body or absent from your body, because to be absent from your body is to be present instantly with Christ. Uh, what's, the, what's the Christian life about? He tells you what it is about in the last clause. What is the purpose of the Christian life? To be pleasing to who? Him, Jesus. That's it. No matter what you do, is to live pleasing unto him. Then he gives you the motivation for living pleasing unto him. Why should you live pleasing? Well, we all must appear as Christians before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Well, that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, this body, according to what he has done, whether what you did was good or bad as a Christian. Uh, we're, we're headed there. Um, he, he goes on to add in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... Because uh, it is somewhat of a reverential, awesome, fear, fearful thing to think one day you'll stand toe-to-toe with the Lord Jesus himself, and he's going to want to know, how, how hard did you, did you pursue me in your Christian walk? Uh, so therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to persuade you uh, as a Christian. Uh, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Uh, what is the goal of a pastor? Well, to prepare you to stand before Christ as a Christian. First of all, to lead you to Christ, but to prepare you to stand before Christ and give account one day so that when the Lord looks at you, he says, wow, you, you served and followed me well. But some we know from 1 Corinthians 3 uh, will experience loss at that moment. He's not talking about heaven or hell. He's talking about reward. He's going to shower you with reward uh, based upon uh, on how well you served him and followed him. That's something to respect during, during your lifetime. Uh, that's why he says we... There's a fear about that. Not a fear that I might lose heaven, but a fear that I might have let my Lord down because I didn't live like I should have. And so today's about fine-tuning, to prepare you uh, to, re- to meet Christ as a Christian uh, and to give account in such a way that uh, his face will smile on you and he will grant you many rewards uh, beyond human description when he sees you. This is not the only place Paul ever mentioned this. In fact, he mentions it several times in his letters because it's such an important event for the church. And so if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following, uh, Paul's going to answer a problem within the church, uh, and the problem was a theological problem. They thought that the Christian believers who had died, were, they were going to miss the appearance of God, J- Jesus, when he returned to earth for his church. Uh, 
And we know from going through that with a fine-tooth comb uh, that prior to the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation prophesied by Daniel, chapter 9, 24 to 27, that seven-year tribulation is going to be preceded by the Lord snatching his church out of here because uh, it's a time of Jacob's trouble, not a time of judgment for the church. So he's going to go back to deal with Israel. While he snatches us out of here and we see him in glory, the first thing he does is he purifies his church. He judges us and rewards us and then we, ushers us into heaven. You ready for that day? In light of that day, Paul, in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, is asking a question that is illogical in light of the Lord's appearance for his church. The question is simple. How, in light of the Lord's coming, should I live? In light of his arrival, how, how should it change how I live? And so, by way of review, because uh, brain cells die daily, don't they? They do, yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I got up this morning. You have your little regimen, you know, getting ready, men? Men? I'm talking to your wives. I'm talking to men. I didn't even tell my wife this. I got up this morning, do my little regimen, getting ready for church. You know, did all I'm supposed to do. And I'm putting on the aftershave when I'm all done. I'm like, man, my skin's feeling kind of rough. Forgot to shave. <laughs> I'm it's pretty bad when, yeah, like, I can't show up like this. But anyway, moving back to my sermon. Um, so uh, brain cells die daily. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, so let's review. Uh, how should you live differently as a Christian? Well, uh, he says in verses 12 to 13, uh, you have a duty, uh, duty, an obligation toward the leaders of your church. Whatever, wherever your church is, you have a duty to follow the leaders of that church. I mean, unless those leaders are heretical and outright sinning, follow those biblical leaders, those elders, those deacons, whoever's over your church, follow them. Because as the world spirals into a chaos prior to the coming of the Antichrist, the greatest thing the church can be is unified. Because there's nothing worse than a church at war with itself. Because non-Christians will come to that and they're like, I got that at the Pentagon. I've got that in the school system. I've seen that. They want to come and see something greater. They want to see the kingdom of God active. That's a healthy church. Follow leadership. Number two, uh, our duty toward followers. First Thessalonians 4, or chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. Um, we, we studied this last week. Uh, how, how are you doing with the commands that were there? They're, they're pretty convicting, especially that one on patience. Remember that? Were you here? Or are you all new? You're here? Yeah. How many went home and go, I got to pray for patience today? That's a gutsy thing to pray. So you who think God doesn't answer prayers quickly, he answers that one quickly. Anyway, moving on to convicting. Uh, what else am I supposed to do in light of the Lord's return? Well, I'm supposed to obey the leaders of church. I'm supposed to uh, live differently toward other people. And he says non-Christians too, believers, unbelievers. Then he talks specifically about your duty to the Lord Jesus himself, verses 16 to 22. Um, we want to look at what he says is, is your duty as a Christian toward your Lord. And it's just how many words? Two. Two, Two words. Um, it's a rule. We'll start with the rule nature, the imperatival nature of what he says here. Uh, I want to show it to you in Greek first so you can appreciate what Paul says here. And plus, I told you last week I was going to show some Greek so you could just see it. Do you see it? It's the top part. That's not... <laughs> That's not a typo. Uh, yeah, so if you read that in Greek, it, it is uh, pantote kairete, pantote karete. Uh, almost sounds like karate, but karete. Pantote karete. What, that, does that sound like similar? Does, does the sound sound similar? Answer is yes. It, 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 he makes it rhyme. Why do you do that? Well, that's a rhetorical device called paradomasia. Uh, you use this all the time, perhaps. Tell your children, I'm about to use a paranomasia blow their minds. Um, Paul does it. Why, do you, why does he do that? He makes the words of this command rhyme so you will not forget it. 
you will memorize. What does the Lord want me to do toward himself? He tells you. It's pretty simple. It's two words, right? What am I supposed to be doing? Rejoicing only when I feel like it. Rejoicing only when things go my way. No, that's not what he said. Pantote karete. Always rejoice. Rejoice. Uh, is, a, is a present tense verb in Greek, which means it's a durative. It means it, it's your perpetual obligation until the Lord comes back. That in all things you learn how to rejoice in them. Uh, and then also, uh, you don't see it in the English text because if you have you had languages before? Anybody? Two people. That's it. What's uh, slows? I mean, yeah. You know how they move things around in a sentence and then you translate in English and it's a little different. Well, that's like this. So here, the adverbial modifier always precedes the verb. But that's not how it's translated in English. In English, it's verb first, then the, the adverbial modifier. Uh, and you're thinking, what in the world are we talking about that for? I came to church to relax. Well, the grammar was anointed by God. So he, he put that adverbial modifier always before the verb. Why? He makes it super emphatic. If you came over to my house today uh, and you saw one of my favorite chairs on the dining room table, and all the other house was squared away, what would you be thinking? Something's up with this people, you know. Uh, it would get your attention, wouldn't it? And that's exactly like this. You take the adverbial modifier, stick it before the verb like this, and instead of saying rejoice always, it's the other way around in Greek. It is always rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, just to be authentic and, and transparent, there's sometimes that you read Bible verses and you're thinking, serious? Are you serious? He said what? What did he say? It's two words. Always rejoice. <laughs> Has he lived a life? <laughs> How'd you do this week? Uh, well, let's, let's dig into this because this is, this is just way too important to move quickly through this. Uh, I find this, this command kind of jaw-dropping, seemingly unrealistic, and at times it could seem unreasonable. Really, does God want me? Is, really? Uh, so let's think about this. Who is he talking to? Well, the saints in Thessalonica right? This port city, they're, they're all a bunch of uh, idol-worshiping pagans. He comes to town, Paul, witnesses them, to them, shares with them the glory of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. A bunch of them get saved. Uh, and do you think becoming a Christian made life easy for them in Thessalonica? No. In fact, if you became a Christian and thought, man, it's an easy street to glory, huh. think again. Because once you trade kingdoms, Satan's kingdom for God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom is going to really level its guns at you to shipwreck your faith, disillusion you, discourage you, and you've got to stay close to God. Notice what happened to these saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Re reviewing. You also became imitators of us, that's the missionary team, and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. Notice the next clause. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. They began to be persecuted right from the get-go. Remember Paul goes to preach there? They run him physically out of town. I mean, threatening him to, to take him out. And he leaves these young Christians in this new church on their own, and they, they faced much tribulation. But where did their joy come from? He tells you where the joy came from. See the prepositional phrase? With the joy of the Holy Spirit. Where did it come from? Holy Spirit came to them and said, I, I know you're being persecuted for your faith, but... I'm going to give you a joy in the middle of this persecution that's going to blow your mind. See, when you face difficulty and persecution or problems, that's when the Lord comes in and his spirit gives you a joy that you're like, man, where'd this come from? It comes from him. 
So when he says rejoice always, it's not to people who were living in, 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 on, on an, in an easy environment. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, by way of review. He says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, like the mother church back in Jerusalem. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. What did they do? Well, they both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but they're hostile to all men. He said the same hostility that they experienced as Jews who converted to Jesus as Messiah in Jerusalem, the same hostility, you're experiencing the same hostility by your culture, uh, you are suffering for that. And he tells them to rejoice. Amazing. First uh, Thessalonians 3. He says, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we are going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, when you become a Christian, you're going to suffer. If you choose to be a pastor of a church, you're going to suffer. Uh, because if you teach the word of God, you're going to suffer because you believe in the word of God. Like the absolute word of God. If you are a, a school teacher who teaches in absolute concepts of truth, you're, you're going to suffer. I mean, wherever you're placed, you're going to suffer. It comes with the turf. But he says in the middle of that, I have a command for you. What was the command? Rejoice always. Now you're confused. Should I put the adverb before the verb? No. Do it like people who speak English. Uh, so these, these, these Christians were, uh, say that you worked at a local trade guild in Thessalonica, the port city, uh, and at your trade guild, when you came into the production facility uh, after, you know, the first morning after you got saved, you got to bow before the various polytheistic gods as you come in. Everybody does it. And all of a sudden you realize those, are, those aren't God. Those are just idols. You don't bow. Everybody's going to be going, hey, what's up? Huh? He didn't bow. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. He said he had some kind of religious experience yesterday with some kind of Jesus guy. I don't know. He's not bowing before the gods. Go tell the boss. All of a sudden, you lost your job because you won't bow. So all kinds of opposition. I'm sure there were people, uh, they would show up at family gatherings. And all of a sudden, the talk turns to spiritual things. And they find out that, that you don't follow the gods of the culture anymore. Because you, you follow who? Je Jesus, who's that? And so lots of persecution happened to them. But to those people, Paul says, rejoice always. Even in your opposition, rejoice. Did you do that last week? Even in your difficulty, did you rejoice in your inner man? Uh, not easy to do. Not easy. Um, inner joy is what I'm talking about. Not weird cultic walking around with a big smile on your face like cult people do. You've seen them? I mean, I used to see them all the time, like when I was high school stuff, Hare Krishnas, you know, at the airport, you know, with the drums and everything, you know, just selling all their stuff and everything. It's like, why are they always, what are they smiling about? They're always smiling. When you see somebody smiling all the time, it's kind of like, oh, welcome. Did I say? <laughs> Service is just beginning. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> I rejoice even in that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and what was up with that? I, hey, who knows? Um, think about Paul. Paul. Paul said you have to maintain a balance between joy Joy and sorrow, because life's full of sorrow, right? Yes. There is. I mean, the, and notice what he says to the Corinthian church that were constantly attacking him as their founding pastor. They're constantly attacking him. Unbelievable. Second Corinthians 6, notice what he says about his life as a, as a, as a shepherd. Verse 4, but in everything, committing ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, we've had afflictions, hardships, distresses, in beatings. He said, I've been beaten for the faith, in imprisonment. In tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, 
in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right and on the left, by glory, by dishonor, by evil report, because they were constantly saying evil things about him. Remember, if you can't handle a godly person's arguments, you attack them, ad hominem attacks. Um, by evil report, by good re report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet we behold, we live as punished yet not put to death. Notice what he says in verse 10. As sorrowful yet what? Always rejoicing. How did he do that? How did he do that? His life was a balance between, Paul, you're a liar. Paul, you're a charlatan. Paul, you're a heretic. But, but he knew he wasn't. I mean, how did he, what was going on? What's going on there? Who, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being persecuted. <laughs> uh, he had a balance between sorrow. I had much sorrow as, as a man of God. But, uh, but I, that's the end of my sermon. But I had... Uh, <laughs> This is really interesting. Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know that song? Let's just stop and sing that song. Yeah. Uh, I'm not singing it by myself. You ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. It's the song that doesn't end. I'm just saying. It's like from the 60s. Yeah, when does this end, man? It never ends. Anyway, so 2 Corinthians 6. Paul had a blessing a life that was tough. But he said, I, I maintain uh, poles between sorrow, but I always have joy over here. How do you do that? He understood the God whom he served. The greater you know the Lord and his sovereignty in, over your life and providence, the more that you can rejoice when times are not great, going great. Amen. Let's think about this. Um, think about your, the week that you just had and the time I'm having right now preaching this sermon. It, <laughs> you know, when things don't go your way and things are kind of messed up, uh, do you... Do you have that inner joy? Well, let's make it practical for just a minute, all right? When it, it's like 98 degrees outside and the humidity is like 300%. <laughs> I don't know what they're listening to, but we'll pray for them. Um, <laughs> woo, um, and your air conditioner breaks. Yeah. Who goes down into the basement to look at the unit and go, Hallelujah. Praise God for this. I mean, serious? Um, expensive car repair this summer. You went in for, you know, like to get the smog check thing, the safety check. Will not pass. Serious? No, you're going to need all this work done to pass. I'm like, how much is that going to cost? Et cetera. Did you, did you thank God for the car mechanic? These people are ripping me off. This is a ripoff. I'm just saying. Stuff I've heard. Um, <laughs> When a storm blows through town and drops a tree on your garage, like happened to one of my neighbors, and takes out your garage and part of your house, are you out in front of your house going, hallelujah? Yeah, I mean, I'm serious, as a Christian. Uh, when it rains like two to four inches today, which is supposed to, you realize this? Re are you ready? Uh, you have a sump, you have a sump uh, pump down in the basement that will kick on, you know, to keep the water out of your house. So when that thing breaks during this huge storm, and the water starts coming in your house, and it's ankle deep, and you're wading down there, and stuff's plugging in the air in there, and you're hoping you don't meet Jesus walking into the water. 
and you walk into the water and, and you think, what in the world? We just carpeted this area. What did Paul say? What was the command? Rejoice always. You're going to be thinking, I know what that sermon was about. I just can't apply it right now. That, that type of thing. Uh, you just sent your daughter to school. She's getting ready to go away to college. Everything's great. Ducks have lined up. Primo, you're all ready to go. Uh, and you lost your job. Serious? What did Paul say? Rejoice. And you just sang the song with me. Rejoice always. Uh, how do you go about doing that? You understand that your happiness isn't tied to the situation. It's tied to Jesus. Amen. You understand him. You can handle the situation. So what is the rule for the passage? Which is very simple. Very could be a short sermon, but it's not. The rule... <laughs> The rule is rejoice always, always. Now, we want to get into the reason of that rule. What's the reason? Because we are thinking people. God, I need some facts. Like, why should I be, why should I live like that? Uh, because you understand the God that you serve is a God who's providential. Uh, J.I. Packer defines God's providence this way. God's providence is the unceasing, he never stops, activity of the creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, because he loves us, he upholds his creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, even your son, boom, circumstances and free acts of angels and men, and directs everything to his appointed goal. What's his goal? His glory, that he gets glory in, in all things that happen to you. Uh, Jerry Bridges has a shorted definition. God's providence is his constant care for and absolute rule over all his creation for, all, for his glory and to the good of his people. That's the kind of God you serve. Uh, that means nothing ever escapes his attention. Nothing catches him off guard. He never looks at your life and went, oh, man, I was totally distracted. How did that happen? Because he's omniscient, right? He knows, he knows all of these things. That's why we, we hang our hat many times in tough times on Romans 8, 28, which most Christians know. What is it? I've seen, I've had a zillion Christians quote this at hospitals, all, all kinds of situations. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For who? To those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that all things, no matter what they are, tragedy or triumph, he works in all of these things to bring glory to his name, to hone us into his image. It's how God rolls. Do you understand that? Because if you understand that, then when things happen that aren't optimal, you can praise him because even in that, he's at work. But think about Paul. Uh, he's arrested with Silas on trumped-up charges, beaten and thrown to a Philippian jail, Acts 16. Uh, at, at midnight, they're in the jail under trumped-up charges. And read Acts 16, what they did. They sang. <laughs> Would you, if you got arrested on trumped-up charges, thrown into a prison, and you knew this, these charges are not true, would you break into, it is well with my soul? Mm-mm. I, I, I'm calling my attorney. I mean, I need to talk to a couple of attorneys. No, they're singing, and they're singing hymns, and all of a sudden, God sends a localized earthquake. All, those, all the cell doors, pink, just pop open. All the prisoners can walk out. If the, if, the, if the head of the prison system lost one prisoner, he was executed according to Roman law. They're leaving. <laughs> but two guys weren't leaving. That's Paul and Silas. And they end up having a conversation with the, with the Philippian jailer, and he trusts Christ as his Savior. And then his whole family comes to know Jesus as their savior. See, even in the tragedy of that, that false imprisonment, God placed them there to reach that jailer. That changes everything because God is providential and in control. Do you, do you believe it? You know, there's not a little tiny bird 
like a little finch or a blue jay or any kind of little bird, a crow, any kind of, name a bird. Not one bird dies unless God knows it. I mean, he said that much. Matthew 10, verse 29. Notice what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Uh, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He, he's cognizant of that. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. He must be having to recalculate with me constantly. Um, uh, the, Therefore, do not fear, for you are of more value than many sparrows. I mean, think about it. You know, God doesn't love me. I've got low self-esteem. It's ridiculous. Blah, blah. No, 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 no. That's from the devil. No, Jesus said, a bird can't die in the forest by your house unless God the Father on his throne. Oh, lost one. And the object here is argument from the lesser to the greater. What's the lesser? A bird that he cares about. What's the greater? You. And so Jesus says, if the father cares about a bird and you are created in his image, isn't he going to take care of you? And because you understand that providence, then you, well, then you can rejoice. Uh, the, the greatness of God's providence is recorded all through the scripture. Here's a few instances. Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 6. That man may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there's no one besides me. Uh, he says, I am the Lord. There is no, uh, there's no other God beside me, he says. The, I am the one who forms light. And creates darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. He, the good things and the bad things. He's sovereignly behind all of them, using them to accomplish his purposes. I mean, think of the devil. The devil really thought he had done a number on the messianic claim uh, to bring the Messiah, you know, to destroy the devil one day, Genesis 3.15. And when Jesus shows up, the devil's thinking, let's take him out. We take him out. We, we got this in the bag. And he, and he takes Christ out. Don't you know the demons were high-fiving each other? And then all of a sudden on day three, they had a problem. Because the Savior rose from the grave and defeated the devil, defeated sin. Because God can take even a crucifixion and flip it. If he can take and flip a crucifixion for greater things, he can do all kinds of awesome things in your life because he's sovereign. He's that kind of God. He says in uh, Lamentations 3.38, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Yeah. But he controls all of those things to accomplish great purposes. Daniel was uh, whisked away into captivity uh, when Nebuchadnezzar uh, invaded his homeland. And he took the cream of the crop, the young man, the intelligentsia. He took them off the Babylon, 600 miles across the desert. And Daniel, too, uh, the, Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a vision of a great image, and he couldn't, it was bothering him. He, could, he wanted to know what it meant. None of the soothsayers could tell him. But God told Daniel, and Daniel, this young high school student, stands up before the most powerful king on the planet, and he said unto him, let the name of the God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him, i.e., not you. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs, not you. Uh, he removes kings and establishes kings. Translated, you're only the king because my God, the king, made you king. He's eternal. You're temporary. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Is how my God rolls. Uh, it is he who uh, reveals the, the profound and the hidden things. Uh, and he knows what is in the darkness, and, and all the light dwells in him. He knows what your vision's about, and he told me. And let me interpret it for you. And he did. See, God placed Daniel, after his nations defeated, in Babylon of all places, to strategically use him to give us some of the greatest prophecies in the Old Testament. See, I don't know what's going on in your life. You might think that you moved here with the military from wherever you came from, and you're in D.C. You never thought you would come here. You don't like humidity. You can't believe you're here, and you got to stop and think, no, it's, it's time to rejoice. Why? Because God's, like he placed Daniel, he's placed you. You're here 
You're here on a mission. You're here on a mission. He's sovereignly working in your life. When I first moved here uh, in 2008, November of 08, um, that was when I, uh, not long thereafter, that's when I had my first of, I don't know, nine or ten uh, can- uh, cancer surgeries for uh, skin cancer. Uh, and so, so I remember the, the first one. And so I went into the surgical room, uh, and the, the doctor said, you know, we've got to cut out this stuff on your, your collarbone. Uh, he told me what they were going to do. And, and you put that gown on, it's like, what is this? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is embarrassing. This is ridiculous. So I put that, I put that gown on, laid down on the bed, and he jacked up the back of it up a little bit and put the big light over me. And the nurse came in, gave me a bunch of shots to numb it up so I can't feel what they're going to do. And then he starts doing his thing, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe this is happening. Um, so he wants to talk to me to get my mind off what he's doing. All right? So this is, what he, this is the conversation. So he's working on me with this blade and everything. And he goes, uh, hey, where are you from? Answer, California. I just moved here from California. His next question, logical question, why'd you move here? <laughs> so I, I just stayed low. I just like, uh, I came for a job. And I thought that would just be the kind of end of the conversation. Then he said, what kind of job? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, I pastor a church. Oh, interesting. Which one? I'm like, dude, just do your surgery. I mean, you know. <laughs> so he's like, it's like Burke, Burke Community Church. Oh, that's interesting. He goes, uh, well, I'm a Buddhist. Oh, interesting. Um, so he said, uh, so he stopped and he's you know, looking at me. And uh, he's like, hey, I've never met a Christian before. And I've really never met a Christian pastor. I'm like, wow, amazing. Uh, he said, I have a lot of questions. Do you, do you mind if I ask you questions while I'm working on you? <laughs> hmm, let me think about it. Lord, you want me talking to this guy? So that launched into a major conversation. I said, ask, ask away, we'll talk. And boy, we talked big time. Uh, so much so that... The nurse left somewhere in the conversation. <laughs> and, and then later she appeared, like a long time later she appeared. And she came in, she was kind of, kind of upset. And she's like, doctor. <laughs> He's like, yes, yeah. Uh, there's another patient in another surgical room waiting for you. And are you done with this guy? Uh, at that point I was sitting on the table, you know, uh, talking to him. And, uh, you know, I was like, can I have my shirt? I mean, uh, you know... <laughs> It was just weird. I mean, she had to come in and get him and drag him out of there. And so before he left, I said, hey, you know, all the questions you've asked me are answered by a book on apologetics that I've read. Uh, would you like me to drop a copy by your office so you as a doctor can read this? Oh, yeah. Would you do that? Yeah. So I did. Now, I'm not all that in a bag of chips, I'm not saying. But I'm just saying, when God does something in your life like that, don't look at it and go, oh, whoa, it's me. It's the end of my life. Did they get everything here with the margin? Blah, blah, blah. No, God's going, no, I'm, I'm putting you there for a reason. Do you see what I mean? So in that, I must rejoice because he put me there to talk to that guy, right? And, and, and that's why you're there. And so, so the reasons why you should be uh, rejoicing and praising God is because God takes all those situations like that, and he's putting you there strategically so you can do something for him, uh, and he's going to do something for you too as well, uh, and praise him in that. So when I walked out of there, I'm like, man, praise God for the opportunity to talk to that man. Now, when you... When you um, Learn to live a joyful life on the inner man. Uh, it leads to some results. Here's some results as we, as we close. Uh, when you live a life of joy before the Lord, no matter what he throws at you this week, here's some things just from my life, sharing from the top of my head. Uh, what will happen? 
Your trust in the Lord's going to flourish. The more you trust him, the more you give him joy, the more trust and more joy you're going to have because he's sovereignly in control and you see it. Number two, your perspective is going to flourish. Instead of woe is me for the surgery, you're like, oh, whoa, what's this opportunity about? Which leads to you're going to be happier knowing that God's up to something extraordinary. You're just going to know it. Uh, you're going to be happier knowing God is up to something extraordinary. You're going to praise him because he's going to show you his handiwork. He's, it's going to show you a draw-dropping movement of his hand, and you're going to know it's him. And then lastly, uh, you're going to win non-Christians to Christ because they're going to look at your tragedy, adversity, and all that, and they're going to see a joy there they can't quite understand. And they're going to ask about, well, hey, what's up with you? Why aren't you upset or downcast? Well, I know the Lord of this adversity. Uh, I, cl I close with a, with a story. <laughs> and, I, and I warned my daughter uh, that I was going to tell this story. I don't know if you've ever driven in the grapevine before. Uh, it's located north of Los Angeles. I've been on that in I-5 corridor many times. Runs from Castake Lake down to the valley floor of the San Joaquin Valley. The final descent is, as they would say in California, gnarly. Uh, it's steep. Now, bear in mind, we had gone from Stockton, California, down to San Diego, about a an 11, 12-hour drive to see Liz's family. Her brother owns an auto shop. Every man's dream, in my estimation, is have access to a lift. <laughs> Am I wrong? You know, because with a lift, you can get your car up. You can see everything. And so I, for years, I would take my cars in there, and I would, uh, Mark had about 10 lifts at his, his shop in Escondido. I would take my car in there and jack it up, and then I had... I had mechanics everywhere if I got stuck. Uh, they had racks of snap-on tools, which, by the way, are from heaven. They just feel good. <laughs> they feel good in your hand. And it was awesome. So I took my Chevy Caprice Classic there. That car was from God. That, that thing just would glide down the freeway. It was heavy. It was big. The trunk, you could put like 30 suitcases in there. It was huge. So we drove in this car. And so I took it to his shop, put it up on a rack. And he's like, hey, what do you want to do today? And, he, and well... I think I want to, I'll do the brakes, I'll service the transmission, replace the spark plugs, and, and maybe a new rotor cap. Like, okay, cool. So that's what I did while I was there. I did all that work and um, got stuck at a few places, had to get a mechanic to tell me, you know, what do we do here? Uh, and so got the car all fixed up. So we eventually loaded the car up and took off to go back up to Northern California. As we're descending the grapevine, I'm driving where any Christian would drive. I'm in the fast lane. <laughs> and I'm cruising, you know, like 75 miles an hour. Got trucks all around me. They're going 70 miles an hour. Cars all around us. It's packed. It's busy. They got those side-off ramps with the sand pits in case your brakes go out. Pray for those people. Um, and so I'm cruising along, and all of a sudden, there's a loud electrical explosion in, under my hood. I, and all of a, I lost all power. I'm in what lane? Fast lane. I lost all power. Listen, what just happened? I have no power. The cassette radio went out, the stereo and everything. Lost all that. I'm mean, lost everything. I'm just, I'm just cruising. And I can't get over because I'm surrounded by trucks. So I'm like, we're closing to glory on this one. I mean, <laughs> so we went all the way down that grapevine grade in the fast lane with no power, no engine, coasting. You can go 75 miles an hour coasting. And so as we got down to the bottom, I, I eventually got to where I could work over uh, and and, and get eventually to the slow lane. So when I bottomed out, uh, there's a couple gas stations that were there back then. It's, it's built up now, but back then it's a few, few gas stations. I blew by them. I mean, I blew by them. <laughs> and we finally got the car pulled to a stop, and I got out, and I tried to flag down somebody. I got my two little kids. It's hot. It's summer. You know, I'm trying to flag cars down. <laughs> Californians. 
we don't stop. You know, it drove right past us. And I'm like, I, we're going to have to leave the car. We're going to have to hike back up the grapevine. And, and so, uh, so we locked the car up. Uh, Liz got a Nathan, and I got Amanda. And I put Amanda on my shoulders because she's a little girl. And, uh, and we started walking. And as we're walking, I, I'm, I must tell you, I was not feeling this verse. <laughs> but Amanda was. Because Amanda started to sing with her little voice on my shoulders as we're walking uphill. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Then she's singing, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Kind of child did I raise? <laughs> I'm like, I am so convicted. I'm the pastor. I'm the priest of my family. And I got like a six year old singing hymns to me. Why was Amanda singing? Uh, you can talk to her. She's here this morning. She probably remembers the event. I wish she was singing because she knew Jesus had that. Right? She was rejoicing when I should have been rejoicing. Because Paul said to do it how often? Always, always do the same thing. Always rejoice God's working, even in that. Let's stand. Good to see you this morning. We'll pray. God, thank you that uh, whether slides go wild and psycho during a presentation, um, cars lose all power in a fast lane, uh, get a report from a doctor we don't like, whatever the things that happen to us, uh, may we always be able to smile on the inside knowing that we have a loving Heavenly Father that works in all events of life to do great, um, awesome things if we will just but pay attention and we give you praise. Teach us to rejoice and to have that joy in our hearts no matter what's going on uh, and, and to use that joy not to only bring praise to your throne but to usher people into the kingdom because they see you living in us. Uh, bless us this day. Uh, may our lives be changed because we heard the word. And may those who don't know the Christ make this the day they open the door of their life to him and be saved. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Rejoice in the rain today, right? Well, we're grateful that you've joined us this morning and had a chance to just uh, experience what God has for you today. And I appreciate Marty's words about rejoicing always. We realize for some of you, you're in a spot where that seems hard, maybe even impossible. Uh, our hosts are online. We'd love to pray for you if you'd love to reach out for them. Or if you'd want to share prayer requests for our, our prayer team, hit the connect button and share your prayer request in the form there. Well, whatever you may be and whatever you're experiencing, we hope that you will go from here leaning into that challenge to rejoice always. Whatever your circumstances may be, God is with you and he offers you that joy. And so we hope that you will lean into him. Let him stir it up inside of you. Let him produce that in your life. And uh, we look forward to what he has in store. We also look forward to being back with you next week where Marty will continue in 1 Thessalonians and we'll continue on this journey together of knowing Christ and making him known. Have a blessed week. We'll see you back here very soon.